I've never preached on this line before, but when I, when I was reading through a certain passage the other day, uh, right here, I've been on the life of David, and that's where we're going to 2 Samuel 18, by the way. I got one verse that I really want to just hone in on, and uh, we're going to look at Absalom, of course, one of the sons of David, of course, the thirdborn, according to 2 Samuel chapter number 3, or chapter number 2, one or the other. And, uh, but you think about this, he was the thirdborn, and the Bible has a lot to say. There are several chapters in the Word of God that, that describe Absalom a little bit, and uh, his life is laid out. And I basically come to a bitter end, and we're going to look at the end, the end side of it as the end, E-N-D, not I-N-S-I-D-E of it, but the E-N-D of his life here in 2 Samuel chapter number 18. And there's one verse that really jumped out at me, and I would ask you this question tonight while you're even turning, or it's really not a question, I guess it'd be a statement, but you think about people and and we hear about people that pass on and, and people that die. And, and it happens all the time. I told him the other day, this man Gentry's been hit hard with Richard Huff and Roy Gray and, and uh, some of them. But, you know, those guys, they're remembered they're, they're just the way they were. And as all of us will, I say this a lot of times at funerals, and I don't get to say it a lot of times at regular service, but we better realize this. We're all going to preach our own funeral. Ain't nothing preacher going to say. It's going to add to your life or take away from it. It's going to be what it's going to be. What we do... In that little dash line from our birth to our death, that's what's going to define us. And uh, there's some things that we struggle with, and I believe this is one tonight that all of us at some point, those, some of us probably dealt with it today. And if you live long enough, if you, if you wake up in the morning, you'll deal with it again. And, uh, but old, old Absalom, he had, a, he had a characteristic or a trait about him that uh, we want to look at tonight, and I sure hope it will be a blessing and a help and encouragement. I didn't come tonight to throw any rocks. I didn't come to be mean-spirited. I don't think I will be, and I'm not intending to do that, but I did come tonight to try to help somebody, and God's helped me, and I can't expect God to help you if God don't help me. So I hope that the Lord will speak to your heart tonight. Second Samuel chapter 18, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I want you to drop down with me. Second Samuel 18, I want to read verse number 18. And we're going to look at this right, right previously to reading this verse. Absalom has, he, of course, he got hung in that oak, and those darts were put in his heart, and he was killed. And then they put him in a great pit, according to verse number 17. But verse number 18 really intrigued me when the Bible said this, 2 Samuel 18 and verse 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the king's dale, in other words, is down in the what they call the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name, and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Now, you could go back to chapter 14 and verse number 27. There's a lot of liberal theologians that would make this statement. And rest assured, what I'm telling you is right, and some of them got doctrine from their name. But they'll say there's a contradiction found in verse number 18. I'm going to tell you this. If you find any contradiction in the Word of God, there ain't nothing wrong with the Word of God. There's something wrong with you. Doesn't matter if you got Ph.D. in front of that. It makes no difference. Well, there is to whatever. Listen, I'm glad the Word of God is complete from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter number 22. But a lot of folks say, well, there's a contradiction there because the Bible said he didn't have any sons in chapter 18, verse 18. But you go back to chapter number 14 and verse number uh, 27, the Bible said that three sons were born unto Absalom, and he had a daughter 
You remember what they named her? They named her Tamar. A lot of folks get confused. They say, well, wait a minute. I thought that was Absalom's sister. It was. It was his full-blooded sister. But he named his daughter Tamar. But he had three sons. Well, well, preacher, the Bible said there in verse number 18 that I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. How do you explain that? It's very easy to explain that. All three of those sons were dead at this particular time. He did have sons, but he had no son to carry on his name. Now, verse 17, he's died. He's graveyard dead. But the Bible said not just in a, in a year, not in five years, not in ten years. The Bible said in verse 18, in his lifetime, that dash line, the time he was born to the time he died. In his lifetime, he reared up for himself a pillar to himself, the Bible said, to bring honor unto him. Tonight, I'm going to preach on a thought I'll tell you about in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, I sure do love you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to just to preach your word. I thank you, God, for the help that you've given me through this message. And, Father, I pray that I'd be able to relay that in a way where it makes sense, where it help us all, or we were going to struggle in this area, in this department, as Absalom did. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. God, we're going to be careful to give you thanks and praise for what you do in this service right now. For we ask it all in Jesus' name, and all God's people say it. Amen. Well, tonight, if I could get your attention to, to go to a certain place, you know, there's something that is called a holic. A H O L I C. You may not be familiar with a holic, but when you put a word in front of that, you will be. We think about a workaholic. That's somebody that 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 is that is basically addicted to work. We think about a shopaholic. Somebody that's addicted to shopping. We hear the words thrown around, alcoholic. That means that they're, that they're addicted to that substance. And understand that we use that aholic at the end to describe somebody that is addicted to something. But Absalom, I've never preached on this, but this is what come to my mind. Do you know what Absalom was? He was a self-aholic. A self Aholic. You say, what's that mean, preacher? He was addicted unto himself. We would call it maybe arrogancy, egotism. Absalom had it. And in his lifetime, Brother Wayne, he reared up a pillar. What does the Bible say? To himself. You don't believe me? Let's read again verse 18. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar. Here was the king's son, third born. But he was what I described tonight, a self-aholic. It was all about me, myself, and I. And I promise you this night, whether you're young or whether you're old, we've all got that tendency to block everybody else out but ourselves. Can I get a witness right there? For instance, Dad and I coming back from Illinois the other day, and we were going to stop and eat there in Princeton, West Virginia. And I made this statement without even thinking about it. I said, well, we need to stop and eat, but I ain't waiting in line. I didn't say we ain't waiting. I was just speaking on behalf. Did I not say that? I'm sure many of you have done the same thing. I wasn't worried about daddy. 
Amen. Daddy's probably hungry. I said, I ain't waiting in line. And we could use many other uh, illustrations uh, to, to, to drive home the point of how sometimes it's sort of self-consciously we do it. And we, instead of thinking about others as we should be, we end up thinking more about ourselves. By the way, and I don't want to get bogged down right here, man. That's what's wrong in our, in our society, in our world. People got this entitled mentality. I don't care about my neighbor. What about me? What am I going to get out of this thing? You wouldn't believe uh, the people I, that uh, church members that have voted for ungodly politicians, ungodly policies, because they promised them, what can I get out of this? Yeah, man. If you're not real, real careful, you'll become a selfaholic. Now, listen, here's what will happen sometimes. We get to preaching on thoughts like this. Somebody's going to come to your mind and say, yeah, brother, so-and-so needs this, sister, so-and-so. No, the preacher needs this, and every person in here needs this. Because if you're not careful, you'll become a selfaholic, and you won't think about nobody else because you're so addicted to yourself. Well, what is the Bible have to say, can I just say a few things? Well, I'm going to, but there's a few things tonight about selfaholics. Did you know that selfaholics are flesh and carnality pleasers? Somebody that is a selfaholic, they're, they're, fleshly things, carnal things, appeal unto them. Romans chapter 8, verse number 7 and 8 said this, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Folks that are self-centered and self-consumed and and, and self-aholic, they're not pleasing God because their their main attraction is themselves in the flesh. Amen. Now, it's the polar opposite of the love of God for you and I that you and I are to demonstrate. We've... Gave that illustration numerous times, predestination. Again, a lot of folks get all bent out of shape out of that. There are some times in the Word of God where it's mentioned, but predestination never has to do with a lost man in the Bible. It's always predestination has to do with a saved man. After we're saved, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? When I get saved, God pre destined me to be more and more like Jesus Christ as I live. Do you read Romans chapter 8, verse number 29 and verse number 30? It'll lay out that truth and that concept. I'm to be conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are. And we're to demonstrate the love of God. But somebody that's a self-aholic, self-centered, self-consumed, arrogance all around, egotism, what does that speak of, preacher? It's not the love of God. 1 Corinthians 13, it's awful quiet in here tonight. 1 Corinthians 13, we refer to that as the love chapter of the Bible, of course, charity. That's where the, the Greek word agape, which is the picture of God's love. Do remember, there's two types of love in the world. There is the phileo love, and then there's the agape love. The phileo world, or, or the love, that's the love of this world. That, that's, the, that's the conditional love. In other words, if you do this for me, Brother Harold, I'll love you. Brother Tony, if you do this for me, if you scratch my back, then I'll love you. That's, that's conditional love. That's the, the world's love. But the agape love that's broken down as charity, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, is the unconditional love. 
in spite of my failures, in spite of my blemishes, in spite of my, my carnal mind, and in, in spite of my flesh and my arrogance and my pride and my stinking pride, by the way, and all of that, God still loves me. But I, we're to demonstrate that love. But when somebody is, is conceited and, and self-consumed and, and a self-aholic, man, we're not demonstrating the love. Because listen to what God said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. You ever met anybody? Now, don't, don't, don't even name names now. You ever met anybody that was vaunted up, puffed up? You say, well, preacher, I don't know if I've ever been around anybody like you. You hang around long enough, you'll find out. Amen. <laughs> you think about this, Jesus gave us a gauge. I'm just building a little foundation. We're going to get right here in 2 Samuel in just a minute. But Jesus gave us a gauge. Mark 12, verse number 31, Jesus said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Did everybody get that? We're to love our neighbor as thyself. What does that mean? The, 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 the love that you, you, you put in yourself, you think what well, the way you think about yourself. That's how we're to think about others. That's the gauge that the Lord Jesus gave to us. But see, a self-aholic is not going to be concerned about anybody else. They're only going to be concerned about their self. Amen. <laughs> Luke 17. Think about this, verse 32, Jesus gave an example, and then he made a statement in Luke 17, verse 32 and 33. He said, remember Lot's wife. Remember when the angels came in and, and rescued Lot and his wife as they're going across the plain? Lot's wife turned around and looked back. The Bible said she turned into a pillar of salt. The Lord Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Well, what is he talking about? You've got to go to the next verse. There in Luke 17, within the context, verse 32 and 33, Remember Lot's wife, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. What's he talking about there? He's talking about surrender. And I, every one of us is either going to surrender at some point in our life to ourself, or we're going to surrender to the Savior. One thing is going to dominate. It's going to domineer our life. If you live to please the flesh, then that's what's going to dominate. And in your lifetime, in that dash, you will be remembered that way as a self-aholic, self-centered, self-consumed. We don't need to do it. That's what Absalom was. I think about this, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Now, that word wealth there means welfare. So in other words, let me read that again, 1 Corinthians 10 and 24. Let no man seek his own. But every man another's wealth. And I've already hit on that a few moments ago. We live in this, this entitlement world. We're not worried about our neighbor. We're not worried about this and over here. We're not worried about the lost man down the street. We're more worried about ourselves. Let's be honest about it. Amen. We're consumed sometimes. And don't even get me on the, on the social media stuff. I, mean, I hear the stories all the time. People posting stuff all the time. Why is that? Attention. Say, always about their self. I hear about people taking selfies all the time. This, that, and the other. And it's always not about other people. It's about, and people that do that, you know what they are? They're a self-aholic. 
They're addicted to themselves. It's awful quiet tonight. I know it's Wednesday night. You had to take it up with God. Listen, I need this too, but I'm just saying, we've got to be careful. We've got to put a guard up because, listen, we don't need to be living under the authority of the flesh, world, and the devil. We need to be living under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that'll never happen until we fully surrender every facet of our life. Our heart, our mind, our soul, the fabric of our being needs to be surrendered and committed unto the Lord to overcome this thing called selfaholic behavior. Well, think about this, Matthew 16, verse 24, and I'm going to move on to the message. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, If any man come after me, what do he tell us to do? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. <laughs> that cross speaks of death. First thing he said we got to do, we got to deny ourselves, Brother Harold. That's hard to do. I ain't telling you something that's easy, easy peasy. It's hard. To deny yourself. It's hard for me to deny myself. For the Lord said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I could give you a pitiful example of that. And it has to do with me a long time ago. And, and it's just as an illustration. As sorry and as worthless as I am, when God called me to preach... And for two years, I didn't do it. I was teaching. I was there in church. I was serving, doing everything I possibly could. But God didn't want part of my life. He wanted all of it. All of it. But I knew if I ever made that commitment, they wouldn't any turning back. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Do you know how many times I think about Brother Tom Maxey? Brother Tom Maxey, most of y'all probably didn't even know him. Little short fellow about like this. Man, I've seen him walk on the pews down here at Middle Cross Baptist Church. It's right there on 67. I mean, preaching the Word of God, Brother Kevin. But he had a bold humbleness about him. And I think about the times that, that, that he denied himself. Think about Brother Bobby Robertson. Brother Bobby Robertson, of course, pastored gospel life for how many? I have no idea. And Brother Bobby, had, he had a boldness about him, but he had a humbleness about him. These men I'm talking about, I think about Brother Tim Gammons. Never one time, Brother Harold, I, and, and he may here in a couple weeks, but I've never heard him. He might hop up, and I've never heard him one time hop up and start talking about himself. He preached the Bible. Bobby Robertson. And, of course, he'd tell stories about, I don't know how many people he wanted to the Lord, but, I mean, God used him in a mighty way to do that. Think about Dr. Baker, Brother Roger Baker, one of the heroes. And these men, they're, they're my heroes. I'm not throwing rocks, man. But I'm saying these are men that devoted their life. There was probably times when maybe their family was going fishing on Sunday, but they, they stayed at the house of God. Amen. They denied themselves. Uh, most folks are not willing to do that. Now listen, somebody goes, say, well, preacher thinks you've got to be there all the time. I think you ought to be here most of the time. Now there is vacation. I understand that. There's sickness and, and different things. I get all that, man. But there's times where you're going to have to deny it. And when we don't, it's because most of the time we do it to please ourselves. Amen. Amen. It's amazing. I've said this before, too. A lot of people say, man, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. And, and it's terrible that I'm telling you this, but it, it'll, it'll happen. 
You get to the point in your life where you cannot sleep. You say, man, I, I'm staying up. I'll tell you what you do. You break open that King James Bible, and you start reading. And that devil will put you to sleep every time. Amen. Amen. But I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to open that up, especially in the day and hour in which we're living. I think, again, the number one, probably the number one issue that the church is facing today is just apathy. <laughs> the I don't care. I mean, really, it, if, 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 it good, if it happens good, if it don't good, just, just the apathetic mindset of a lot of God's people. I think that's one of the biggest things that we're facing today. But social media and the cell phone. People can't get in the Word of God anymore. People can't get in their prayer calls anymore because they're on Facebook. Hey, man, they're on social media. And you know why they're doing that? They ain't going to get in the Word of God. That's, that's God's will for us to do that. But they're on that stuff because it pleases themselves. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, listen, I love you tonight. I hope you know that. But it's a fact. It's a reality. Sometimes... The, 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 the alarm bell needs to be rung. This self-centeredness, self-aholic, see, it goes uh, is far-reaching more than we think it is when it comes to the self-aholic behavior. But Jesus said, if he will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's things where you have to deny yourself. Boy, Absalom, you read through the page of Scripture, the few chapters that demonstrate or describe his life. About four or five chapters, maybe a little more than that, here in 2 Samuel that, that describe his life. Everything about him pretty much is about him. And we just read about a pillar in his lifetime he reared up for himself. He wasn't going to leave a legacy behind for his family. We know he didn't have any sons living, according to verse number 18. But he wanted to be remembered. You know where it all started? Now, you, I want you to flip back because I want you to see this. Now, we read this before, but I don't know if you got it in a previous message. I have no idea which one it was. But you go back to chapter 14. I want you to get 2 Samuel 14 and verse number 24. Now, keep in mind, this time, Absalom has, has had his brother Amnon killed for violating his sister Tamar. And he's fled, and he's been away. And finally, he gets to come back. And I want you to listen to this. 2 Samuel 14 and verse 24. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So David allowed Absalom to come back after being exiled for those years. He comes back, but David said, I don't want to see his face. You tell him to go to his own house. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. But look at verse 25. But in all Israel... There was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. You know where a lot of this started? When he received the praise of all Israel. Now stay with me right here now. There's two things that we'll face in the Christian life. There's a lot of things you're going to face, but I'm just saying there, there's, there's two things that we're going to deal with. One is success, and one is failure. Now, as a child of God, there's going to come time when, when you may fail at some things. There's going to be some failures. There's going to be some things along the way. 
But you know, Brother Kevin, there's a lot of folks that can handle failure a whole lot better than they can success. What do you mean, preacher? Well, when somebody, when somebody fails, oftentimes it, it humbles them. It brings a humble sense to them to, to let them know that, you know what? You're not in control, man. I'm in control. And it makes you look up. We looked on Sunday. If you want help, it's directional. It's upward. The psalmist said in Psalm 21, verse 1, I will lift up mine eyes on the hills from whence cometh my help. But a lot of folks, they do better with failure because they lean on the Lord better than they do success. When they may receive the praise of men. You may get to the point where, yeah, you know, God, I don't need you as much now. Boy, I got the applause of man. <laughs> yeah, man, I got the praise of man. I believe a lot of that started right there when he come back. I mean, he got a hero's welcome, although David said, I don't want to see his face. You sent him to the house, he stayed there two years. We'll read about that again here in just a moment. But Absalom... It didn't humble him. It puffed him up. Amen. Because all, everybody was praised him. Success, did you know, can lead to the <laughs> too big for your britches syndrome. <laughs> just new words sometimes just pop out. You say, what is that? Too big for your britches syndrome. Well, a lot of times when we get to look at ourselves, we think about how great we are. Again, we've got our eyes in the wrong place. We need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. You can go to the book of Hebrews. We're to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't be looking at other men. Don't be looking at other ministries. You better be looking to the Lord and get your eyes off yourself. <laughs> oh, I'm preaching to myself tonight. Watch this now. But Absalom, no doubt, was entitled in his mind. The heir to the throne, Amnon, has been killed. Think about this. Now, Absalom made uh, things about himself way too often. We see this several things, and I'm just going to hit these real quickly. In chapter 13, I'm just going to hit this real, real quick. Chapter 13 and verse number 22, we see that Absalom, he had that animosity towards Amnon. Before we read, of course, Amnon had violated his full sister Tamar, but in verse 22... And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And then in verse 23, And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Belhazor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now, you can see the self-aholic nature of Absalom even in that text right there. You say, well, how in the world do you get that preacher? Absalom made it about himself. Now, Amnon had violated his sister, but you know what Absalom did? Absalom didn't wait for God's judgment to fall. Absalom took matters into his own hands. Me, myself, and I. I ain't going to leave it up to God. I'm going to do my own thing. And he did. He had him killed, but he had that self-aholic mentality. Again, Amnon was the one that was standing between him and the throne. He had a perfect opportunity. He wanted to, he wanted to scale the ranks. He wanted to be king of Israel. We see him here in just a little bit, even thwarting his dad. But think about David. David was a man after God's own heart. You remember that time? It's in 1 Samuel, I'm pretty sure. But... Uh, uh, when Saul was after David and, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself and David and his men were on the inside of that cave and the Bible said that Saul went in to relieve himself, in other words, to use the bathroom and David, David's men basically paraphrased it, why don't you kill him, David? 
David, he's here. God has placed him right in front. But you know what David wouldn't do? He wouldn't lift a finger against the Lord's anointing. Why? Because it wasn't about himself. Amen. Now, David, he made his mistake. We see that with Bathsheba. But he would not raise that hand because he didn't make it about himself. But Absalom did. Absalom didn't leave the judgment hand in God's hand. He done it himself. We see that with the animosity towards Anon, but also with the arrogance he displayed to Joab. Flip over to chapter 14. Now, of course, Joab being the, we would call him the general of David's army. And keep in mind, when, when Absalom came back after exile, David said, I don't want to see his face anymore. Just, just tell, him to, tell him to stay at his house. Well, these two years have come to pass, and Absalom was getting fed up. But I want you to read this. We, we see his, his self-aholic nature coming to the front with his arrogance displayed to, to Joab, the general, the commander of David's army. In verse number 28 of 2 Samuel 14, So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have him sent to the king, but he would not come to him. When he sent again the second time, he would not come. Therefore he said unto his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine. He hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And I see Absalom tried to get Joab's attention twice. He said, Man, I want you to come. He wouldn't come. Finally, the third time, Absalom set his field on fire. Many of you remember Maze Jackson preaching on that. When God sets you barley fields on fire, something precious to you, something, uh, and there's good application there. That's not the context, but it's good application. God sets something on fire that's dear to your heart life to get your attention, and God is known to do that, by the way. I'm going to tell you now, he put me flat on my back with a ruptured disc. Don't tell me he won't. If you'd have told me at the time that's what happened, I'd probably smack you. But at the time, God was molding and making me. He was taking me down to Jeremiah Chapman Ray. 18. I was just an old hunk of clay placed on that potter's wheel. And during that time, God humbled me. God got my attention. And boy, God helped me to never forget that I'm a big old nothing, but he's a big old everything. And at the end of the day, when this old life lays down, it ain't going to be about Brian. It ought to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ought to go for every one of us. But here old Absalom, he's called for Joab. <laughs> Joab. He's got Joab's attention. And look at verse 32. And Absalom, now watch this. Look at verse 32. Now, I am not by no means an English major. But there are seven personal pronouns, at least if I counted right, in verse 32. And they all pertain to Absalom. Notice this. You get the heartbeat of a, of a self-aholic in verse 32. And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have, have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. Seven times. The arrogance toward Joab. Why did Absalom want to come in? Man, he had received that praise of all those people. He liked that. But now he hadn't, he hadn't had it. He's, he's been isolated in his own home. So he talks about Joab. He didn't say anything about his family. He didn't say anything about David. He didn't say anything about Joab. He said, me, I, me, I. He had an eyesight problem. Many people 
have an eye. Now listen, this will help us tonight if we'll get it. It'll help us. We see Absalom made things about himself way too often. He had animosity towards Amnon, arrogance displayed to Joab. But he had aspirations of being king. Look in chapter 15 and verse 4. This is where he revolts against David. The Bible said in verse 4 of 2 Kings 15, Absalom said, Moreover, all that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Three times you find that I and I and me in verse number 4. He wanted to be the one that was giving out the judgment, as oftentimes kings would do. He had the aspirations of being king. Well, notice this, this last one here. We just read it. That was our text. 2 Samuel chapter number 18. It's worth reading again. Now, Absalom in his lifetime, 2 Samuel 18, 18, now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it is called unto this day Absalom's place. He had this adoration for himself that he built up this pillar. You know, I thought about this. He, he reared up himself a pillar, but you know what he got? He got through in a great pit. Look at verse, 20, look at verse 17. Now, this is after Absalom was dead. Verse 17, and they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him, and all Israel fled every one to his tent. Here was a man that in his lifetime, Brother Harold, had built a monument unto himself. That's key, to himself. Don't miss that. How many of us tonight are building a monument to ourself? Are we building a monument to the Lord? Are we leaving a legacy behind, a memorial, if you will, with our lifetime, with our lifestyle and, and everything that we do? There's eyes that's watching us. <laughs> There's ears that's listening to us. And everywhere we go, we, we create in our lifetime a, 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 a testimony, whether good or whether bad. But old Absalom, he was what we would call a selfaholic that built this pillar. And when he died, oh yeah, that pillar reminded them of everybody. The one that got hung up in a tree in 2 Samuel chapter number 18 had those three darts pierced through his heart that eventually was slew and was cast into a great pit. They had so much disrespect for him that they threw stones all over him. I think about this tonight as Sister Savannah comes. Things usually run full circle, and that's what happened basically with, with Absalom. I'll just give you one challenge tonight. Let's not be a self-aholic. Now, this is how we do, all right? Been in this thing long enough. I probably already hit on this a little bit, but a lot of times I'll say, yeah, man, it's, that's a good message for somebody. <laughs> I hope it's a good message for all of us to serve as a reminder not to be a self-aholic, not be self-consumed, self-conceited, but to try to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we're to be the salt of the earth. We're to be the light of the world. But in our lifetime, we're building a pillar, too, by way of testimony. Is it more about us or is it more about Christ? I'm asking you personally. I have to ask myself the same thing. Is what I'm doing, is it more about me? Or is it more about Jesus? Is it more about me? Or is it more about Jesus? Is it more about you? Or is it more about Jesus? That's a question. 
that you've got to ask. And some of us say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Why, why should I do that? Well, one day we're going to meet God. We're going to meet the Lord. The opportunities we had that we squandered because we made it more about ourselves more than we did others. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember joy? I've said this before. But remember that pecking order? You know what joy spells? This is the order. Jesus, others, and yourself. You know when you'll have the most joy? Not when you're pleasing yourself. But when you put Jesus first, you put others second, and you put yourself last. See, the devil has a counterfeit and say, oh, make it all about yourself. But a lot of times when you've got yourself front and center, you're miserable. But when Jesus is first, you put others second, yourself last, that's where true joy is, man. We've got to learn to overcome this thing of being a self-holic. You say, preacher, man, I'm doing pretty good right now. You better put it on credit. There'll come a time when that temptation for you to just everything's going to be, it's got to be about me, myself, and I. Let's don't have the attitude that Absalom did. Jesus even said, Matthew 16, 24, if any man will come after me and follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As we stand all over the house tonight, let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to preach your word. God, you got to help me in this department. Lord, you got to help us all in this department. Lord, as Absalom in his lifetime reared up a pillar, he reared up a testimony. God, we'll do the same thing. Lord, help us to put you first. Help us to put others second. Lord, help us to put ourselves last. Oh, what a challenge that is. Continual daily struggles the Apostle Paul battled in Romans 7. Father, I preach it, pray that you'd help us to be more and more like Christ every day. Help us in this department, Lord. We'll be careful to give you thanks and praise for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month we have what's called an eat-and-meet service, after our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 
must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, and good works, and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask Him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked Him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sins. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here. And may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.